people are never going to understand how critical this particular time in history is. We have $7.7 trillion worth of economic events that are going to hit America in the gut. This is An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun, President and CEO of Private Wealth Consultants, the free market voice, free market voice. of the U.S., enhancing and protecting private wealth. Gary Rathbun has over 30 years of experience in making the best choices for you to keep more of what you earn. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. This is Greetings and welcome again to An Economy of One. I am your host, Gary Rathman. How would you like to be the parent of the Yale student that uh, was on that video that went viral this week? Did you see this? Did you see this? This young lady uh, just screaming, being obnoxious, um, using the uh, F-bomb all over the place to this uh, professor um because he had the the audacity to talk about uh free speech you know yale was one of those universities that um wanted everybody's halloween costume to be culturally sensitive um it, it, we didn't want to offend anybody we didn't want to be provocative or inappropriate or anything like that and and uh just came out and said you know what about uh, freedom of speech, and it just exploded. And I couldn't help between that and the University of Missouri. And I mean, it's it's just running rampant through the campuses. And and uh, since I'm not a parent, and never have been a parent, uh, I am uniquely positioned to comment on this because not being a parent makes me an expert on raising kids. And it, it's, it seems to me like this is simply the fruits of what people have been doing uh, to their children for quite some time now. They, they, they've put these kids in a bubble. They've uh, told them how good they are and everything they do is great and how they need to be safe and feel safe everywhere they go. And this woman at Yale, she's yelling that she's not interested in any type of educational forum or educational environment, she wants a safe home. It's Yale's job to provide her a safe home. Talk about wasting tuition dollars. Uh, like that. I'd like to be that young lady's parents spending forty, fifty thousand dollars a year at Yale, and that's what you're getting. These people will not be prepared for adulthood in any way, shape, or form. And, th and that's what the government wants. That will perpetuate the need for big government. It will perpetuate the regulatory issues and the policies of big government to take care of them. For some, some reason... They, they, they get up in the morning and immediately when their feet hit the floor, they start looking for things that they can classify as offending them. Something that makes them a victim some way. And, and it's kind of an attitude that taking offense gives them power. 
the simple fact that he resigned proves he does not have the leadership ability to be the head of a university anyway. But that being the case, he should have never been hired in that position. But the fact that he kowtowed to these people and resigned tells me he's got no backbone. Nobody will stand up and with integrity and speak the truth. The one op-ed at the Yale Herald uh, has since been taken down, but it was written by a student talking about this this uh, administrator who say he doesn't get it, and I don't want to debate. I want to talk about my pain. Guys at Yale, how much pain can you have? Really? Really? I mean, come on. He's 18, 19, 20 years old, knows nothing about life, hasn't lived a second of real life yet, and he wants to talk about his pain because of inappropriate Halloween costumes. Whoa. These are your future leaders right here. These are your future, probably more likely, they're your future politicians right here. I read something which we posted on our website, um, economyofone.com, or our Facebook, Economy of One, on Facebook, talking about a professor who starts his his class at UNC Wilmington uh, on, uh, he teaches uh, criminology. And uh, we, we got the whole whole thing on our our website, but I want to read you a couple sentences where he's talking about the growing minority of students who believe they have a right to be free from being offended. It's a thin-skinned minority that is ruining this nation. You know, just a few words there explains it all. Explains it all. I mean, the, the Yale student didn't want to debate, meaning... Free speech is not welcome there. I don't want free speech. He wants to talk about his pain. Now, that pain is fully manufactured from being coddled his whole life. Do I blame the parents? Darn right I blame the parents. I blame society. I blame the school system. I blame it all. This is the product you get by having everybody get a trophy. We're not keeping score. One writer even talked about simple playground aspect. Children naturally want to play. But because of the thin skin, the ever-fragile children we have, we got to prevent bullying before it happens. we got to set all the rules, all on the playground, that kind of stuff, before it happens not allowed to play. And this is very important in developing democratic skills. Teachers and parents have short-circuited that process by constantly intervening to make sure everybody plays nice and shares and that kind of stuff. We're taking away a key piece that makes it possible for free people to be peaceful cooperative people by devising bottom-up solutions to a variety of conflicts. We're creating those safe spaces. Well, let me help you. Life isn't safe. 
life is risky, it's offensive, and it's brutal. And quite honestly, I wouldn't want it any other way. I want to fight the hard fight. I want to struggle to get what I get. It's just discouraging seeing this kind of behavior, both in the students and in the leadership. And this is what's coming to the workforce. This is what's coming to the professional offices. This is what's coming to the politicians. I'm glad I'm not a parent, quite honestly, and paying those tuition bills to see my kid on a video like that. Quite honestly, if I'd have been on a video like that when I was in college and my dad got a hold of me, um, I wouldn't be on a second video, I'll tell you that. And I would venture to say the next tuition bill would be sent to me, wouldn't be sent to my parents. Coming up soon, we're going to talk to uh, Stephen Moore coming up next. We're going to talk about people moving around the country for tax reasons and, and some of his tax views. But there's a recent study put out about the worst cities in the U.S. Now, they surveyed and classified 1,268 cities in America. Now, these are small cities. These are not the big cities. These are the small. We're getting out of the the uh, downtown areas getting into the suburbia. And they used a ranking methodology on um, affordability, economic health, education and health, and quality of life. And the top 20 cities, the ones that scored the highest, are all over the country virtually. The bottom 20, all 20, the bottom 20, all in California. All in California. That should tell you something about that state and how the living standards are in California. They all have that in common. So coming up next, we're going to spend some time with Stephen Moore. He's an economic writer and policy expert and uh, distinguished visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation. you want to stay with me for that. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. We are joined now by Stephen Moore. He's an economic writer and policy expert. He's known for advocating free market policies and supply-side economics. He's currently a distinguished visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation, overseeing the Project for Economic Growth. He's written a lot of books, co-authored several with uh, Art Laffler, including The End of uh, Prosperity, The Return of Prosperity, and most recently, The Wealth of States. Stephen, welcome to the show. I appreciate it. Hi, happy to be with you. You know, I uh, I read just about everything you write. I, I uh, hope you appreciate <laughs> that. You. I, I always look for. <laughs> I do appreciate it. <laughs> everything and and your books have have been terrific. Most recently, I wanted to touch base with you. You've written quite a bit 
uh, about the migration of uh, wealth and individuals from uh, blue states to red states. Why? Why? Right. What, what, what's what's the attraction in red states? Why is that happening in this country? <laughs> Well, because that's where the jobs are. Yeah, we're really seeing, I mean, this is one of the most important migration, you know, uh, patterns in American history where we're seeing day after day after day blue states like, you know, New York and New mm-hmm. Jersey and Connecticut and California, my home state of Illinois, Minnesota are losing people and they're mostly going south. They're going to states like Texas and Tennessee and South Carolina and North Carolina and they're going to Arizona and they're going to the Dakotas. And I think it's because... I think there are a lot of reasons. I mean, partly it's the weather. People do want to move to places that are warmer and have more sunshine. But the big factor is that the red states have much more pro-growth policies. You can get richer in red states. You, there are more jobs in red states. There are more businesses in red states. Um, and all of those factors explain why uh, people are moving. By the way, it's, it's cheaper to live in red states than blue states. Yeah. Um, you know, you, my favorite example is comparing you know, if you look at the four biggest states, Texas, Florida, California, New York, two of those states, California and New York, are, you know, blue states, and right. two of them are red states, uh, Texas and, and uh, Florida. And for every job in the last 15 years that was created in California and New York, you know, three to four jobs have been created in, in Texas and Florida. Now, is that mainly due to, like, state income tax, or oh, yeah. uh, is it right-to-work issues, union Both. issues? Well, those are the two biggest factors that explain why jobs move from one state to another and why businesses move from one state to another. So the first big factor is income tax rate. Um, I mentioned, you know, the Texas, Florida versus California, New York situation. So uh, in Texas and Florida, as you know, the income tax rate is zero. There is no income tax in Texas and there's no income tax in Florida. Uh, conversely, you know, um, California, New York, the highest tax rate is as high as 13%. So, you know, you can save a lot of money if you're a millionaire or, uh, you know, make uh, run a big business by moving to a state that has no income tax, and that's exactly what businesses do. I mean, there was an example earlier, I think it was late last year, where Toyota, one of the major, you know, Toyota North America moved its its headquarters out of California and moved to Texas, and right. one of the big reasons was was taxation. Um, and the other big factor is right to work. So, you know, there's no doubt about it that right to work states create twice as many job, new jobs as non right to work states. So, uh, now what state, where are you? I'm in Ohio. Ohio. So, um, Ohio is a, not a right to work state. No, we, right we voted state. it down. And it's interesting yeah, you not, say that because I forget who I was talking to in the last week, but Michigan, which is kind of the epitome of Keynesian economics for, for a long time, is a right to work state. And they're creating jobs over Ohio about three to one or so. Yeah, so Michigan is just, I mean, think about this. In just the last five years, Michigan, Indiana, Wisconsin have all become right to work because they understand that that's where you get the jobs. Now, Ohio is a state, I mean, if you want to create more jobs, and Ohio's done pretty very well under John Kasich. He's he's been a good governor. But, you know, look, it's very simple. You have to be a right to work state if you want to create the jobs. And right away, right to work is not anti-union. It it doesn't say you can't have a union in Ohio. You can certainly have a union. It just says that the workers can't be required to join the union and pay the dues. And, and you know, this is simply a right of association that, you know, every individual worker should be able to make up his or her own mind if he wants to join the union. It shouldn't be required as a condition of employment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if you were to ask me what... 
create jobs? There is absolutely no question. The answer is Ohio has to become a right-to-work state because you're going to be surrounded by states that are already right-to-work. If you're, if you're not right-to-work, you're going to see more and more jobs bleed out of Ohio. Yeah, no question. I talked to uh, Mitch Daniels a few years ago when he was governor of Indiana, and they just passed right-to-work. And, and I asked him, I says, uh, how do you feel about Ohio? And he said, don't think you're not on our attack agenda. And, yeah, well, uh, you I know, know, I'm so, about- I'm from Illinois, and, you know, Indiana's yeah. also taking a lot of jobs out of Illinois. Now, we, we finally have a pretty good governor, Bruce Rauner, in Illinois. He's trying to change things, make, uh, you know, Illinois has been one of the bluest states. But, you know, right. the fact that we finally got rid of some of these, um, you know, horrible governors that uh, Illinois has had. We've got somebody who wants to reform the state, cut the taxes, and, and become right to work. And, by the way, one of the things that's interesting is that in some states, the um, counties are becoming right to work. So even if the state isn't right to work, you know, the county becomes right to work county, and maybe that would be a way to get right to work in Ohio. You know, it, it's it's interesting. I mean, I read all of your stuff. It seems uh, very evident that the red states, the states that are creating jobs, why that's happening, the taxes, the right to work, the, the regulatory uh, environment. Yeah, that How come other governors aren't catching on? I mean, it, it's it's like not seeing the, the, the forest for the trees, you know? Oh, they are. They are. I mean, we're winning at the state level as conservatives. There's no doubt about it. I mean, as I mentioned, you know, who would have thought five years ago that Indiana – uh, Wisconsin and, and Michigan, three Michigan, of those states yeah. were the cradle of unionism, would become right to work. You just, uh, you know, Nevada just a couple months ago uh, passed a statewide education voucher bill. You've got uh, something like 15 states last year, including Ohio, that cut their tax rates. I mean, we're winning all over this country. South Carolina just uh, reduced their business tax rate. Um, it's amazing how our free market conservative ideas are just taking over the states. It's a beautiful thing to see. And the states that don't do this are getting left behind. I mean, states like California and New York, and, you know, the, the joke in New York is, you know, we'll ask New Yorker, please turn up the lights because they're <laughs> losing so many people. 100,000 people on that left um, New York just last year for other wow. states. Wow. We'll continue our conversation with Stephen Moore in just a minute. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. We're talking with Stephen Moore, one of the top economists in the United States and a distinguished visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Stephen, do you see these conditions, these characteristics of the red states and the success behind them? Do you see that translating to the nation as a whole? Do you see Washington uh, noticing these characteristics and, and adopting them anytime in the near future? Well, first of all, liberals try to deny that it's happening. So I've been doing a lot of debates with liberals about, you know, the fact that the red states are clobbering the blue states. And, right. and this is a hard thing for liberals to explain, right? I mean, liberals say, oh, we're going to have high taxes on the rich, and we're going to have minimum wages, and we're going to have these, all these regulations, and, and uh, you know, we're not going to drill for our energy resources because we care about climate change and all that stuff. And, you know, they, and they say, we're going to create a worker's paradise. And, you know, when I debate these liberals, I say, what kind of worker's paradise is it if all 
all the workers are leaving and are going to the states that are doing just the opposite of what you recommend. Right. And, you know, try that on one of your liberal friends. They don't have an explanation. They can't explain why people are leaving. You know, from why are people moving from San Diego, which has the most beautiful weather in the country, right. to Houston? You know, <laughs> it's happening day after day. I mean, everywhere I go, I see, you know, every state I go to, whether it's Colorado or California or Idaho or Utah, all you see is California license plates. Um, <laughs> people are leaving. They're, they're voting with their feet against liberalism. Now, on the national level, you know, we've got this obviously one of the most important presidential elections since 1980 coming up. Right. And I was very pleased to see Donald Trump has joined, you know, with so many of these other Republican candidates is talking about cutting tax rates to make America more competitive. Right. Meanwhile, look at the Democratic side. I mean, Hillary Clinton wants to raise the capital gains tax, not cut it. She wants yeah. to make it higher. Uh, Bernie Sanders, who's the, who's the you know, uh, uh, the um, kind of uh, ice cream of the day for the Democrats, flavor of the day, he wants to raise tax rates to 60, 70 percent. So there's right. a huge cultural divide between what Democrats want to do and what Republicans want to do. Now, the you know, it surprises me with with uh, Bernie Sanders, especially. I mean, he's you, you got to give him credit. He's honest about being a socialist. But, he is, yeah. you know, is is he really garnering is Hillary Clinton and, and Bernie Sanders really garnering that much support? Or is it kind of wishful spin on the mainstream media standpoint? Well, they, you know, they are, look, the Democratic Party, and I say this painfully because I think it's terrible for America, but on a national level, the Democratic Party has been taken over by a radical left. People who believe that the biggest problem in America is, is global warming, not, you know, how do we get jobs? How do we, how do we, uh, you know, get Americans a pay raise? How do we deal with terrorism? How do we deal with our national debt? No, those aren't problems. We're going to stop the rise of the ocean by shutting down our energy industry and so on. I mean, it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I remember when, when Democrats cared about working class people. Now, now they care more about trees than they do about, um, you know, working class people. And so, I think this is a big problem for the for the Democratic Party that they've become so radicalized that they are turning to policies that would be so harmful to our economy. And you know, we, we all we have to do is look at Barack Obama's presidency. I mean, this has been the weakest recovery from a recession mm-hmm. that we've seen in sixty years. You gotta go back to the Great Depression to remember a period that was so bad for the American economy. Now Obama didn't cause the recession. That happened under Bush. Right. But the recovery has been terrible. I mean, Americans have had a pay raise now for 10 years. Right. You know, and, and it seems like a lot of the focus we see revolves around the Federal Reserve, uh, Bernanke, and now Janet Yellen. What, it, what do you see as, as the bigger problem uh, in the economy, monetary policy or regulatory policy? I mean, interest rate's a big oh, right, deal, or is it regulatory? It's, re- it's, all, it's regulatory and tax. You know, uh, look, our monetary policy, I, I think the Fed should have raised rates because I think, uh, you know, the zero interest rate policy hasn't worked very well. But, you know, we don't have a lot of inflation in the economy right now. It's only running at 2%. Our problems are regulatory and tax. I mean, let me just give you one example. Okay. We have the highest business tax rate in the world. I mean, how stupid is that? Right. I mean, I thought we were right. trying to create jobs, not have them leave the country. You know, and, and there's, Hillary doesn't want to do anything about that. Bernie Sanders doesn't want to do anything about that. Barack Obama doesn't want to do anything about that. They complain about these companies moving offshore, and it's their policies that are impelling countries to do that. Companies to do that. Yeah, I believe if you did something like what you know, Rand Paul is talking about a 15% flat tax. Uh, you know, Donald Trump talked about cutting our corporate tax rate to 15%. Bush wants it at 20%. If you did something like that, these companies would move back instantaneously. We'd, right. we'd create millions of jobs. So 
there's obvious solutions to our problems, and yet liberals just have their head in the sand and, and act as if all we have to do is print money and somehow that's going to solve our problems. I mean, if that was the case, Mexico would be the richest country in the world. <laughs> well, and, and look at Greece. I mean, Greece kind of yeah. kind of is the model for some of these people and their Keynesian thinking, and Greece is an absolute failure. I mean, everything that, that uh, Bernie Sanders wants, everything that this administration wants, they've got in Greece, and we look at the results there. You know, it, it's well, that's it, true. I mean, I, I always say when I debate my little friends, show me anywhere, any time where socialism has worked. Yeah. I mean, Greece is a, is a total socialistic failure. Look at Puerto Rico. It's a giant welfare state. They've got $90 billion of debt they can't pay. You know, look at Argentina. Look at uh, look at Connecticut. Look at Detroit. Look at Chicago. Right. I mean, <laughs> wherever you go, big government socialism or whatever ism you want to call it, is is bankrupting states, it's bankrupting cities, it's bankrupting countries, it's hurting the poor. I mean, what's happening in Greece is is an abomination. Now, people back to say, well, what about Sweden? Sweden's a socialistic country. Well, actually, Sweden's doing pretty well, but guess what? They're cutting back on their welfare. They're right. cutting their tax rates. Sweden has a lower uh, business tax than we do in the United States. Wow. That's incredible. You know, recently we acknowledged on the show the anniversary of the birth of Ludwig von Mises, and he's widely accepted as the father of Austrian economics. Yep. Uh, yep. Why is Keynesian ideologies continue to dominate so many policies uh, out of Washington and, and with politicians and, and some prominent economists? I know you've debated well, uh, Paul Krugman on this. And, and, well, it's an and, excuse for government to spend money. Oh. You know, so... The, the Keynesian idea, which has always, you know, been everywhere it's been tried, it's failed. I mean, mm-hmm. it failed under uh, FDR. Remember, in the, in, the, in the Great Depression, the Great Depression lasted, you know, eight more years under uh, FDR uh, when he tried to implement Keynesian economics. It failed in the 1970s under Jimmy Carter. It failed, or it, you know, our best example of the failure is under Obama. Where remember that $800 billion stimulus plan was right. to create the summer of recovery. Well, it's been <laughs> six summers. We still haven't seen the recovery. Shovels uh, are still know, not ready, are they? <laughs> yeah, the shovel-ready projects are already. Yeah. And so... You know, again, the problem with liberalism is, you know, they don't have any examples of where their policies have worked. I mean, and if they worked, New York would be getting richer and Texas would be getting poorer. But just the opposite is happening. Right. Right. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's I, I had to uh, laugh a little bit with your debate with uh, Paul Krugman uh, this summer at, uh, what was it, Freedom Fest, I think Freedom it was, yeah. uh, uh-huh. in Vegas. Yeah. And... Uh, Part of his answer, or maybe all of his answer, for the migration from blue states to red states uh, revolved around air conditioning. And I, 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 I don't <laughs> I know. know where North Dakota falls in on that category. Yeah, but, right, exactly. You know, I so mean, North Dakota's it, had the second biggest increase in population of any state. And it's just, it's the second it's the coldest state. You know? right. So air conditioning doesn't explain that one. And by the way, if people were moving to states with nice weather, then California would be gaining people, not losing people. Oh yeah, people. yeah. So now we all know that the the government needs needs taxes. We they they need to run and and uh, protect our borders and and uh, contracts and and that kind of stuff. What 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 is the 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 best solution in your mind going forward to fund the government, what kind of of taxes or revenue-generating strategies would be best for the economy and still fund the government to the level it's needed? I like the flat tax. 
question. I'm a flat tax guy. I think, uh, you know, if we had a 16, 17, 18% flat tax where you mm-hmm. just, you know, you get your first, say, $30,000 of income is tax-free, and then you start paying, you know, an 18% flat rate, you know, I think that makes the most sense because it's fair. If you make, you know, five times more money than I do, then you pay five times more tax. I think right. that's the way the system should work. We should get the tax rate as low as possible so you have the least amount of distortion. And the problem with liberals, I mean, Bernie Sanders saying, let's go back to 70 Seven zero percent tax rates. I mean, that's insane. I mean, right. that would mean that you'd have to give, you know, for every dollar you made, you'd give just 70 cents to the government. I mean, that's, do you really think people are going to work and invest under that kind of system? I mean, there's an old saying, if you tax something, you get less of it. Right. And if you tax something less, you get more of it. So if we increase our tax on work and saving and investment and entrepreneurship and business, we're going to get fewer businesses and fewer jobs and pay less saving. It seems so obvious. I don't know why liberals don't understand that. You know, it's and I agree with you. I don't understand why they've hung on to an ideology that just has proven itself over and over again that it just doesn't work. And the answer I always get from people is, well, we didn't put enough money in it. We didn't borrow enough money. We didn't spend enough money. And uh, they just keep digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper. So, uh, well, I mean. You know that Barack Obama has been president now for, let's see, six full years. Yep. Um, and in six years, he has increased our debt by almost $7 trillion. Right. Right. <laughs> $7 trillion. Dollars. So any liberal like Paul Krugman who says, well, we didn't borrow enough. I mean, are these people insane? <laughs> they want to borrow $10 trillion, $15 trillion? Yeah. Is there no amount of debt that they – I mean, the problem is we – you know, look, we had a crisis that happened in 2007 and eight in the housing market that was a result of way too much debt, right? The government was right. borrowing too much. Businesses were borrowing too much. Individuals were borrowing too much. And then the left solution to that is let's have the government borrow even more money. It's like pouring gasoline onto a raging fire. (laughs) If you pour enough on it, maybe it'll go out, right? Is that it? (laughs) You know, it's... uh, uh, Hopefully we've learned the lessons, though, that we should never do this again. We shouldn't borrow. We shouldn't bail out companies. We should let the free market system work. And, you know, the free market, as I said about the Pope's visit here... uh, greatest anti-poverty program ever invented in the history of mankind is free market capitalism. Right, right. That's taking more people out of poverty than anything And all the, all the churches, all the government programs, none of them have reduced poverty as much as, and I say this as a Catholic, and I, I love the fact that this Pope talks about, you know, the, the golden rule, and our, our mission in life is, is to, you know, treat others as you would want them to treat you. But, you know, the government is it should not be in the business of charity. It shouldn't be. Right. It's, that's our personal responsibility as Christians and Catholics is to help our, our fellow man and to help the least among us. But when government tries to do it, it ruins the economy. We're speaking with Stephen Moore, one of the top economists in the U.S. and a distinguished visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation, author of many books, including The Wealth of States, most recently, who's the fairest of them all, The End of Prosperity, Return to Prosperity. Before I let you go, uh, i got to ask you a very personal question. A few weeks ago, we had uh, Edward Pinto on from uh, American Enterprise Institute talking about the housing bubble and, and that kind of stuff. And, and you had referenced him in a, in a column you wrote, and I referenced the column to him. Um, I know all my listeners are very curious or very concerned. Did you ever uh, 
get your mortgage approved for the new house. <laughs> yeah, you know, so that, for those who are not uh, don't know what we're talking about, I wrote a column called "Why I Can't Get a Mortgage," and it was basically and it got a huge amount of attention because I basically said, "Look, I'm buying this house. I'm putting 25 percent down payment right, on it. Right. I have a house right now. I've got a 30 year mortgage. I've made every mortgage payment. I've never missed a payment. In fact, I prepaid my mortgage. You know, and uh, I went into the three banks. They wouldn't let me have a mortgage, and you know, and that's because you know this." The underwriting standards are now so tough, and because of this crazy law, Dodd Frank, you know, banks aren't making the loans to even good lenders. And by the way, I can't tell you how many people said I'm in the same situation, but the good news, the end of the story is, I finally found an unconventional lender. It wasn't Guido, the loan shark, but it was close (laughs) to that, who made me a loan. uh, But my point was, look, the government's still insuring people, you know, low-income people walk in and they they get a 3% down payment, 100% taxpayer guaranteed. I'm putting 25% down on my house, and I can't get a mortgage. What's wrong with this country? <laughs> well, and I just really enjoyed the article. I didn't mean to put you on the spot on that. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, but the good news is I'm moving into my new house next month. So oh, well, okay. Well, if you need any help, I'm busy. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, great to be with you, and uh, hope you have a great day. Thanks a lot, Stephen. I really appreciate your time. Take care. Thanks. Yep. Up next, what has greater odds of killing you next year, a gun or your doctor? I'll answer that next. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. You know, I've always said two of the worst things that have ever been created are 24-hour news and the quarterly report. Well, I need to add a third thing. One of the third worst things ever created is TV commercials for prescription drugs. Seems like every commercial has some type of drug that you need, some type of symptom that you may have that you need to ask your doctor How about this drug? Well, there's some recent research out there uh, put out by the uh, Center for Disease Control that states you are much, much, I'm talking big numbers, much more likely to die from prescription drugs than you are from a gun. So why aren't we regulating prescription drugs more than trying to regulate guns. Is it because gun, uh, drugs don't make a big bang when they, they kill somebody? It's a lot quieter? I don't know. But you're about 13 times more likely to die of drug overdoses, uh, prescription drugs, as you are gun violence. In fact, gun violence is way down on the list, almost at the bottom. Certainly accidents with firearms are, there's about, oh, uh, one-tenth of one percent of accidents with firearms. Homicide, however, is about five per hundred thousand. But drug overdose is 14 per hundred thousand. 
So that's a big, big difference. Now, that includes heroin and and that kind of stuff. I understand that. But more than half of that number is prescription drugs. Second in line is all types of transport. So cars, airplanes, trains, boats, that kind of stuff. And uh, gun violence, way down the list. Now, when it comes to um, uh, total deaths, certainly heart disease and malignant cancer are way up there. Okay, so heart disease is significantly multiple times higher cause of death than gun violence. But see, people seem to to uh, put that risk uh, lower because they feel that's something they can control. And gun violence is, is something they can't control. So they greatly overestimate their chances of dying due to uh, homicide by gun violence. When heart disease is way, way up there. And yet, every time somebody gets shot in this country, every time more than one person gets shot in this country, we got to have more gun control. Got to have more laws protecting us. This goes right back to what I was talking about at the top of the show, is that safe zone. Government has sold us that we need to be safe. Now, remember last week or the week before, I forget when it was, we was talking about the World Health Organization coming out and saying that eating processed red meat is extraordinarily bad for you. It increases the risk of cancer uh, tremendously. And, and we kind of debunked that that whole research. They, they were looking at strictly colorectal cancer. Um, there was no clear association in uh, those studies. They weren't done very scientifically. And even the language that they put out is that uh, is probably uh, causes cancer in humans. Probably, not definitively. Well, now we start seeing more research. We're starting to see more reaction. And I knew it was just a matter of time before the climate change agenda came into the picture. It's not that red meat causes cancer, that it increases cancer significantly. It's that, according to them, the greens out there, um, animals that provide red meat create a lot of methane. I'll let you determine why or how. Um, Create a lot of methane, which is very, very, very bad for the atmosphere. It's, It's significantly worse than CO2. So, climate people going after our bacon. That may be the final straw. I don't know. There's enough of us that like bacon. We'll see. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. We'll see you next time. This is our country. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor. 